Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. This is Saul Weinreb, host of the podcast. And thank you for coming back to continue our study of the first book of Kings, Melachim Aleph. <coughs> we are in chapter 10, that's Perak Yud. <coughs> we just read the first half of chapter 10, and we're up to verse 14. We read of the story of the visit of the Queen of Sheba to Shlomo. And we discussed how she came to see, is it possible? for someone to have such wealth and such power and still be a just and righteous king, still be a king that is faithful to the principles of, of, his, <coughs> of, the God, of the God who made him king, the God who gave him his special mission. Can he still be faithful to that mission and, um, and be wealthy? And she saw that he could, at least at this point in his life. But then the verse immediately goes back to continuing to describe the wealth and grandeur and starts to make us feel even more and more uneasy <coughs> about what we learned. Because we just read in Deuteronomy what the dangers of such wealth are. Will Shlomo be able to avoid this fate? <coughs> Will he actually be able to see, that to show us that one can live in such wealth and grandeur and splendor and not take a turn for the worse and not become corrupted by it? Well, he seemed to have convinced the Queen of Sheba that, that he could. But soon he will prove we will, that, unfortunately, that the suspicions that the Queen of Sheba had were true and correct, and she had good reason to be suspicious. She's already back on her way to her home <coughs> in Sheba, and she uh, will maybe someday in the future find out what happened. But now... We're going to discuss even more the wealth. And if it makes you feel a little like what's going on here, a little uneasy, that is the point and purpose of all of this. So remember, I'm just trying to emphasize the point is not to tell you to be impressed about how great Shlomo is so that we should aspire to such great wealth. The point is exactly the opposite, to show you that wealth can be good, but very often and more often than not, this kind of wealth and this kind of splendor where we're at a point now where there's no purpose to it anymore other than the wealth itself. As long as the wealth is needed to build a house for God, to build a temple, to, to, to rule, to, to um, build a kingdom, it made sense. But here we're going to find things that are completely simply for the sense of pleasure and enjoyment alone and no other purpose at all that very often it leads to Something bad. And the measurement of gold that Shlomo received in his coffers <coughs> on a yearly annual basis was 666 talents of gold. This doesn't even include, so this now must have been what he took in in taxes. <coughs> this doesn't even include what he took from the tradesmen and the merchants that did business. And all of the gifts that came in from the other kings across Arabia, and the, and the money that came in from the uh, officers, the governors that ruled over the various regions that we learned that Shlomo had divided up the land into. <coughs> and out of this gold, he made 200 um, uh, sheets of, of, of gold, uh, you know, beaten out into even sheets 
600 shekels worth of gold per sheet. So this was a way of storing the gold, presumably. And 300 maginim um, usually means a, a, uh, a shield of some sort uh, uh, made of also pure beaten gold. Uh, each one was made of three mane, which is a, another measurement of gold. Yalal Amaginachas was made uh, for each one of these shields. So these were um, made and put out to decorate in that the house of the Yar Halavonon, the house of the Lebanon forest, which, um, according to many interpretations, we had learned was this beautiful house and it had the cedars of Lebanon and gave one the impression of walking into a forest. Now they are decorated with gold taking it a notch away from the impression of nature, which one was originally impressed with, to an impression of gold and wealth, which changing the nature of this house. Again, if that makes you feel like something's about to take a bad turn, then that is the intent of this. The king made a throne out of ivory, a big throne out of ivory, and he covered it with with uh, refined gold. Now, why would you, if you're covering uh, something with gold anyway, it doesn't make sense. Why would you use such an expensive and rare material as ivory to make the chair? So one imagine that it was probably like like gold highlights and um, like gilded here and here with gold. I, I most likely was not completely covered in gold, but that's just a, a guess on my part. But either way, you know, because one would wonder if you're actually coating it with gold, then you might as well make it out of wood or something else, but who knows. Sheish ma'alos lakisei, there were six steps leading up to the throne. Verosh agol lakisei me'acharav, and it had, on the, behind it, it had a rounded back, v'yados mizeh mizeh, and there were arms on either side of the throne, el makom hashavet, on the, either side of the place where one would sit. Ushnaim arayos omdim etzalayados, and next to the, the uh, armrests were two Lions, two sculptures of lions that were standing there. In addition to the lions that were on the level of the armrests, there were also uh, two lions on each one of the steps leading up to the throne for a total of 12 more lions. No one had such a grand throne in any of the kingdoms of the time. As Shlomo did. And Shlomo had so much gold that all of his utensils, uh, for drinking utensils, were made out of gold. And all of the utensils that were used in the house of the Lebanon forest <coughs> right, were also made of pure gold. Right? The, uh, the uh, silver was not even considered like anything in the days of Shlomo. It wasn't considered nothing. There was so much silver that silver was not even considered valuable. Gold was valuable, but it was also so abundant. The king had a, a, a fleet, a Tarshish fleet, uh, which was a place, a fleet, I guess, that came from the shipbuilding place of Tarshish, a seafaring people. Um, together with the ships of Hiram, which presumably the, the Tarshish fleet was 
uh, plying the Mediterranean. The Chiram uh, ships were in the Red Sea. Once every three years, the ships, the Tarshish ships, would come into port carrying gold and silver, Shen Habim. <coughs> Shen Habim is, is ivory, the Kofim and monkeys, Vitukiim, and which are, could be translated as, a, as parrots or some sort of beautiful bird, often translated as peacocks. So these were things that were just simply for the sake of beauty, for the sake of, of, of wealth, for the sake of pleasure. And Shlomo was great, greater than all the other kings, both in his wealth and in his wisdom. <coughs> at this point, we're still at the point where Shlomo's wisdom was great. And all of the land, all of the world came to <coughs> search out Shlomo with so to hear his wisdom that God had placed in his heart. <coughs> and people would bring each person would bring his 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 gifts whether they were silver vessels or gold vessels and and valuable um, materials for for clothing the neshek and um and uh, weapons and spices susim horses and mules every year people would be bringing this to shlomo as tribute <coughs> And Shlomo gathered many riders and horses and chariots. He had 1,400 chariots. And he had 12,000 horses. And he placed them in the cities that were set aside for the cities where set aside for where his horses should live. <coughs> And some of them were stayed with the king in Jerusalem. So this is we with the first the first warning we read in Deuteronomy was Lo Yarbalo Susim, he shouldn't have too many horses. And here clearly the Torah is telling us about all of the horses. It also says, Lo Yarbalo, you know, cast of his love, we shouldn't have too much wealth and gold and silver. And we just read about too much wealth and gold and silver. Here we have Shlomo contravening uh, the rules that were laid down in Devarim that, were, that God had said back then that if the king does this, he will eventually um, become corrupted by it. Now remember, the goal of the Judean kingdom, the goal of the kingdom of Israel, is not to be a powerful kingdom, powerful in military might, a powerful in economic might. Many nations have had that throughout history, have been powerful either militarily or in their wealth or in some other great resource or even in their wisdom. What, what the kingdom of Israel had to offer the world was the morality that goes along with the new religion that they were introducing to the world, that God created the world with a purpose, and that purpose is mishpat, that we should live lives of justice and righteousness. This was the message that it was built for. To build a kingdom, to make it so powerful and wealthy, to the extent that it's being done to spread those positive aims and goals, it could be okay. But once it's being done for no reason other than to accumulate wealth and be the most powerful country around, that is when the country has lost its moral compass.
The king made silver uh, used as like stones. And the, the cedar wood. <coughs> was so much cedar wood, which is a valuable form of wood, as much as the sycamore trees in the Shefela forest, where there were tons of sycamore trees. There was so much cedar just like that. And the source of where the courses came from was Egypt, which is exactly what the Torah had warned. If you start dealing and accumulating too many horses, you're going to be getting them from Egypt. And the kings would buy them. Um, the king's uh, businessmen, the king's horse dealers, right, would buy them from from Kive, a place called Kive, right, at a fixed price, because you know Shlomo had had such a had was such an important buyer of the horses that he was able to fix the price. When the purchaser can fix the price, if you're a large company and you're able to say, listen, if you want to sell this product in our stores, and let's say you're a Walmart, for example, and a, and a, and a seller comes to you, they can't just say, oh, I want to charge you $100 per, per box. If Walmart says, well, we're not going to buy it at that price, we're going to pay you 50 then you're forced to sell it because at a cut rate price simply because you don't have a choice because if you don't get it into their stores you're going to lose the biggest market so the same thing over here Shlomo had purchased so many horses that um, <coughs> he was able to fix the price at which he bought the horses a, a chariot um, left from Egypt uh, that, that, that left from Egypt would cost 600 pieces of silver and each horse cost 150 and these were the prices that he paid and then he would export these products to sell them so that's what he would buy them at that rate and then he'd be able to charge more and sell them to the other kingdoms the Hittite kings and the Aramean kings he was able to sell it at a profit so we see that he is turning his heart towards Egypt to procure these animals and these products, which is exactly what the Torah warned of. And this concludes chapter 10. And in chapter 11, we are going to see Shlomo's next mistake, the third thing that God warned against. We're going to see, uh, which was to marry too many wives. And then, unfortunately, we'll see that the, the Torah's warnings that Shlomo is ignoring and not heeding will lead ultimately to his downfall. Thank you so much for studying chapter 10. Looking forward to studying chapter 11 and the rest of this beautiful book of Kings together. May you all have a wonderful day.